Hey, quick break to talk about our sponsor today. We're talking about HubSpot and their new AI-powered service hub. Okay, so what is service hub? Basically, every customer today wants to be talked to in a personalized way. And before, that required tons of human agents. But now, with AI, you could do that in a personalized way with fewer humans involved. And so you don't have to scale up your team in order to deliver personalized chat and service. So check out HubSpot's new service hub to use their AI tools to give better support to your customers. That's what they want and that's what they deserve. So visit HubSpot.com slash service to learn how this all new solution can help you deliver customer service with AI to your customers. We just kind of started this regular poker game. For me, it was just like a way to like make college money on the side. I was hungry, I was looking for more games and I like thought I was good at this thing. While I was 19, I built up from basically $300 to $180,000. I'm doing the math of how I'm going to make millions of dollars a year. Do I go to class or do I play this guy heads up who's sitting there with $20,000? We ended up renting a nine-bedroom house, calling it the poker house. We started throwing these parties where we'd have like 300 people show up and, you know, we're these kids running into all this money. Over the course of the next six to nine months, I basically lost it all and even got myself in $50,000 debt. I got super depressed. I'm in this hole, like I don't know how I'm gonna get out. I ended up finally having my first big tournament win. I think I won like 30 grand. That's basically when my career kind of shot off and I never really looked back. 100,000, 300K, 500K, 770K. The next one, like three months later, I made 1.7 million. Five million is not enough. 10 million. 15 million. 20 million dollars. 100 million dollars. Almost a half a billion in revenue. million dollars. One or two people in a bedroom actually the threats to these like giant multi-billion dollar companies because you have creativity and you have nothing to lose. Add another zero to that price, buddy. <laughs> Add two more zeros. <laughs> First, First million. Every week, we sit down with self-made millionaires and ask them, how did you do it? I didn't start a podcast. I started my own personal business school. And the teachers are the successful entrepreneurs behind the biggest brands and businesses that you find today. I wanted to know the real stories with all the details, like how did you get your first hundred customers? What did it feel like when shit hit the fan? I ask them, how do you spend your money now that you're rich? And what would you do if you were starting over from scratch again today? If you're like me and you want to own your own business instead of living a nine to five job, this is the podcast for you. The Hustle presents My First Million. I'm here. We did it. I'm excited. <laughs> I'm going to frame this for people because I don't know how much of my audience knows about you. So I got to do like a proper it, intro here. It. So we have Faraz Jaka here. I'm going to just read these accomplishments. You just sit there and just bask in it. Okay, <laughs> ready? You're a professional poker player. Yes. Six World Series poker final tables. I didn't know that. <laughs> you were named World Poker Tour Player of the Year. Yep. That's pretty damn good. And most importantly of all, I think this number's right. This is what Wikipedia tells me. 10 million in career lifetime earnings playing poker. Yes. Wow. How does that feel? And your nickname is The Toilet. Why is your nickname <laughs> The Toilet? That's the most uh, popular interview question in poker tournaments. Of course. Um, 
because when I first started playing in college, you know, I had no idea what I was doing, kind of was self-taught at the beginning. So I was just like, oh, suited cards must be good. So I'd play like every suited hand and I'd get all these flushes and my roommates would get super annoyed and they'd be like, damn it, the toilet flushes again. <laughs> so when I had to make an online screen name to play online, I wasn't really taking it too seriously. I was like, oh, everyone calls me the toilet. Right. Boom, toilet. And next thing you know, the toilet's playing like high stakes. Right. And 15 years later. <laughs> and there's, you know, the media loves it because like the toilet flushes away the competition the toilet nice. gets flushed like <laughs> you're marketing genius and you didn't realize it at the time okay so how does a nice brown kid like you become a professional poker player that's not a career path yeah for most, it, it wasn't most what kids. i expected either you know i started playing freshman year in college just you know some guys were playing in the dorm room one guy was trying to get everyone together to teach him how to play so you know we put together a little tournament i actually won the first tournament i played it was 12 of us and only one of the guys had played before yeah so we just kind of started this regular poker game and for me it was just like a way to like make some like, college money on the side and what's funny actually kind of I think two weeks in I was down $180 and I was like, man, like, that's okay, devastating like, as like, a college kid. Yeah. Like, I was like, actually, like, worried. I was like, all right, I need to, like, step away, right. like, not do this. <laughs> you know, if I get to minus 200, I'm just going to stop. Right. Um, I don't know if I would have stopped or not. Like, <laughs> I, I thought I would at the time, but either way, I went in a big heater. Yeah. And over the next few weeks, I ended up, like, up $1,000. At the beginning, I was just really good at, like, outsmarting people, was good at reading people. I didn't really, you know, know too much of the fundamentals and that kind of thing. Just instincts at the time. Yeah. Just instincts at the time. And I started seeking out kind of, you know, bigger games. So I started going to other fraternities, other dorms, started playing other places. So what were the stakes of the first games that you were So playing? like $10 buy-in. $10 little sit and go, like a tournament? Uh, first one I played was a tournament, but after that it was all cash games. Okay. So $10 um, buy-ins and then you sort of you graduate up to where yeah, was I was just I was hungry. I was looking for more games, and I like thought I was good at this thing. So I ended up winning another tournament at some fraternity. There was only two of us that weren't from the fraternity, and the guy who got second was the other guy. And I realized he was pretty good, and he realized I was pretty good. So we started talking. We became friends, and you know he was like, "Oh, I got this five dollar game." You know, he invited me to his thing. Yep. And that's Ben Lafuse. So he became. I don't know if you've seen like rounders, like you know, like Worm and Mike, like kind of like bankroll partners. Yeah. Like He was like my bankroll partner. <laughs> So he'd been playing since he was a kid and he'd read every poker book and like knew the math behind it. So he kind of helped me kind of understand that there's some fundamentals to the game, you know, like here's like the Go starting hands, yeah. like this is the chance of you getting a flush. Like, so he kind of helped me a little bit, like understand the fundamentals. And I probably helped him in the fact that I was just like, no, like we're not playing this, like let's go find bigger games, you know? Right. So kept going for bigger games. And eventually, you know, we couldn't find a bigger game than $20. So we started our own game. So now, you know, we're running our own game and this um, is in a dorm room or where yeah this is in the dorms and you know start playing online start going to like this local charity casino and um, you know what one thing led to another and you know next fast forward and you know we're making weekend trips to Vegas <laughs> uh, that's when stuff started getting really crazy so I think I made like a few thousand dollars online you know the first time to Vegas was pretty hilarious because I remember just walking over to Ben's dorm room next door I think it was maybe like midnight or something I looked up a bunch of flights to Vegas and I was like, Ben, like we should go to Vegas. And he's like, yeah, you know, definitely, man, I'm down. Like, you know, we've been talking about it. Like, let me know. I'm like, no, like we need to go Tomorrow. to Vegas now. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> and he's just like, what do you mean? I was like, I looked up flights. There's a flight at 6 a.m. I was like, I talked to our friend G. He said, if you let him borrow your Mustang, he'll drive us to the airport to O'Hare's, a three-hour yeah. drive. 
And he's just like, you know, it's a Thursday. He's like, what about Spanish homework? I'm like, geez, Puerto Rican on the way. We'll convince him to do our Spanish <laughs> homework as well. And we literally did. He was just like, I can't think of a reason not to go. Right. And we literally just up and went to Vegas, like two 19-year-olds. And I think we had maybe like a $10,000 bankroll at this point. So we brought like $2,000 each, went to the Bellagio, played cash games there. Obviously, we we're only 19. So we would dress up in like a shirt and tie and right. like act like we were like <laughs> just came from work or whatever. And, uh, you know, I, I learned all these little tricks. So we'd walk in past the guy that IDs you at like Bay 101, like when we we're here in San Jose. And I'd literally like be on my phone acting like I'm yelling at an employee. Right. Like just whatever <laughs> I can do to Get like pass that guy. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> my favorite one was like when I was at the Bellagio and stuff like I literally just I noticed the floor man like every time you see them they'd be like oh hey J- uh, Jaka yeah and like these right. guys don't remember everyone like there's no How way yeah so every time I'd see a floor man I'd just read their name tag and be like oh hey John like how's it going and you're playing high stakes like at that point they're gonna be too embarrassed I do you you know right. you're acting like you have a relationship with these guys right it literally works like 100% of the time <laughs> just to set the context you're in college you're supposed to be doing what what was the like stated plan. I'm in college. I'm studying. I was economics and business major. So yeah, I mean, I was passionate about business. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I did in high school, we had this like student run business selling silk screens, printed t-shirts. Right. So that's where I kind of got my passion for entrepreneurship. I joined a business fraternity in college, Alpha Kappa Psi. That was my plan. Plan yeah. was to go into business and then you start on this sort of slippery slope. Yeah. <laughs> Luckily, we know the story ended well for you. <laughs> there are many people who start with that $5 cash game, then go 10 and well, it had its ups and downs, so it definitely wasn't all good. Over the course of three to six months while I was 19, I built up from basically a few hundred dollars to $180,000 as a 19-year-old college student. 180K. 180K. I'm just like this dorm celebrity, like the local you know, schools doing articles on me. And I'm living the life, you know, like we're in college, like we're throwing crazy parties. Yeah. What do you even do with 180K when you're 19 years old? Man, we would, we would pay our friends to just like do the stupidest things, <laughs> like go drink this, do this, go right. talk to that girl, go say this. It was fun. We ended up renting a nine bedroom house, calling it the poker house. We were running our own games. We were coaching people. We were playing online poker. It's actually amazing the crowd that came out of that. Out of the guys we were teaching, five of them now have had million dollar stores on the big tours. Wow. And probably about seven or eight of them are professional poker players just out of that circle, which is pretty crazy, actually. Yeah. So we were doing that. We were running these games and we started like throwing these parties where we'd have like, you know, 300 people show up, like nine keggers. Right. Like, uh, you know, for anyone who went to college, you know, like the bragging rights to the party of how good a party was going to be was how many kegs was going to be. And, you know, we're these kids running into all this money. So every Every other party has like Keystone and we have like the Guinness, the Woodchuck right. Cider and no one else is doing this and we're charging $5 a cup. So it was funny. The first party, we actually had to like argue over like who can put in money for the party. And by the second one, everybody was arguing over who can put in money because we were literally profitable. Oh, it was super profitable. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> running the, yeah. So it, it was pretty wild. We probably threw some of the best parties on campus, like 40,000 <laughs> students there. It was up there. Great. Um, so you're you're on this heater. You've gone from basically a few hundred bucks to a few thousand bucks now to 180k. Yeah. At this point, do you think, oh, there's a career, or you're not even thinking about questions like that? So I'm doing the math of how I'm gonna make like millions of dollars a year. Right. Again, I haven't actually learned the fundamentals of poker. I'm naturally like pretty talented. I'm super competitive. It's not that it was all just natural talent. I mean, just to give some background, like in middle school, I started doing track in seventh grade. I was like 
probably like on the slower side of the team. By the end of eighth grade, I was one of the fastest runners at school. In high school, I became like one of the fastest runners in the district, you know, ran like a 159 half mile, 429 mile. And I was super competitive. You have an obsessive personality. Exactly, for sure. On the basketball team in seventh grade, I had this big growth spurt. I thought I was going to be like the badass on the team and I ended up getting cut. I didn't even make the team. Right. I was embarrassed. So I spent the next 12 months literally doing like liners every day, like in pouring rain. Right. Like it's literally like seed like out of rockers. Yeah. yeah. Like I, I didn't think about it at the time, but looking back, I'm like, man, that was crazy. <laughs> I, I, you know, I bought jump soles and just did everything I could do. And the next year I was starting on the team. And that's just kind of the personality I have just super competitive. I'm always the guy like diving for loose balls, you know, bloody knees. Right. I approach poker the same way too. I just, I get upset when someone outdoes me, you know? It's not like you knew all the tactics and fundamentals in math yet. Yeah, yeah. But you're saying you had a certain natural aptitude plus this obsessive personality where if you start with something and you lose or you have a bad experience, you want to correct that. That was a trait you had naturally. Yeah. I've met a lot of people that are like this. In Mm -hmm. fact, when we hire for our company, Furcon, who you know very well, we had this thing where we would look for degenerates. And oh, most, yeah. most people view that as a negative word. I was word. definitely a degenerate. <laughs> and we said, you know, a degenerate, because Furcon played poker, also I played poker. A degenerate is a word that's very common in the poker world. It's a sickness. It's a sickness. It's a sickness. But when but it's... applied to a passion, what the result is that you become really great at your craft. Oh, for sure. We always say, like, to be one of the top, top poker players, you need to be a degenerate, but you need to learn how to tame it. Right. Exactly. If somebody doesn't have that degeneracy in them, you can't put it in them. It's a personality trait they yeah, will have themselves. Yeah, you're basically taking epic risks. Right. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so you're at this point where you think you're going to make millions. Yep, Things yep. are going well. You've never really tasted bitter, bitter defeat yeah. yet. On top of not having the fundamentals of poker, I also don't have any concept of bankroll management. So, you Which, know, explain for people what this means. This is really We're going to yeah. say a lot of poker terms. This is one I think we should stop and explain because it's so yeah, important. Yes, so I'm sure this is like super similar, like investing in startups. And it's just that, you know, if you're going to play a cash game buy-in where it's $1,000, you know, you need to have 40 buy-ins, up to 100 buy-ins, depending on if you're playing cash games or tournaments. So it's basically what percent of your nest egg yeah. you're putting at risk on any yeah. given game. You know, if you're not a professional, you know, that could be, you know, lower, more like 25 to 40 because you're not relying on this from income. And it's just kind of like rules of thumbs like that you need to follow based on, you you know, your expected ROI. Very similar to if you're an angel investor and you want to figure out how many bets you have, you know, right. for how many different You don't startups. bet on one company, you yep. want to have 25 bets potentially. Yep. So I had no concept of that. Didn't really think about the long run or variance. I start playing these like super high stakes games. What's super high stakes? I mean, I'm playing like 100, 200, no limit, like $20,000 buy-in, like <laughs> online. I'm just sitting there and it's like, do I go to class or do I play this guy heads up who's sitting there with $20,000 and I'm going to crush him? Right. I would crush a lot of these guys. But the thing was, when you have bad fundamentals, eventually people start to pick up on your weaknesses right. and they figure out how to get an edge on you. So I kind of had this early advantage because I was playing this crazy hyper-aggressive style that wasn't that popular back then and people didn't know how to play against it. But eventually they would find out how to slowly adjust. adjust. Yeah, because I'm playing like the best players in the world and I don't watch poker on TV. I never read a book. I'm not in a forum. So I don't even know who any of these guys are. Right. You know, a few years later, I find out like these are like the top players. (laughs) And I just had like no fear, which is something to show that 
you know, it's interesting. Once you find out who these guys are, you do play them a little more cautiously. But there's something to be said about just having no fear. So even though like I shouldn't have been in those games, they taught me so much. Yeah. Playing that big, it doesn't matter. Even if you are the best player in the world, you're going to 99% of the time go broke. Over the course of the next six to nine months, I basically lost it all. And even got myself in $50,000 debt, yep. you know, borrowing from other players who, you know, at this point, I established myself as, you know, a player with a big reputation. And that was demoralizing. You're 20 I mean, years old at this point? 21? Yeah, yeah, exactly. I was about 20 now. I'm going into my junior year and I got super depressed, you know, like just to go from so high to so low in such a short period of time, just definitely messes you up. And, you know, it, it was a combination of things. It was that I sacrificed my school and my grades for the last, you know, year and a half now because of this thing that I was sure was going to work out for me. So now I'm like, okay, you know, I, I messed this up. Messed I, that up. Yeah, I messed that up. I'm in this hole. Like, I don't know how I'm going to get out. Do you remember when you sort of bankroll hits zero or, you know, so like, because I've been there before, right? When I was in college, I used to play much lower stakes than this, but I would do the same thing. I'd run it up to two grand and I'd be like, I'm not going to class. I have two grand yeah. in my account right now. And I'd take the whole two grand and I'd go up a bigger game. So yeah, on the way down, I mean, I'd get to points where I had like 40 K left to my name and I'm still jumping into these $20,000 buy-in games. Right. Which is, this is Because <laughs> now you're trying to make it back. Yes, exactly. Because <laughs> I made it so quickly. So I'm. this is what you call being a degenerate. Right. <laughs> and I remember some crazy sessions. I had a session where I was down to like my 60000 went down to about 1500 And it's like a $20,000 buy-in game. And everyone left the table. And there's one guy sitting there with sixty k. And from 1500 I literally got all of it back. <laughs> the guy disappeared for months and came back. And uh, you're just at this point, you're just talking in the chat. And he's like, dude, like you messed me up. That He's, okay. like, <laughs> he's like, my wife was pissed at me. Like I stopped playing. It's the first time I'm back. But yeah, well, won that 60K back. And then the next day, boom, lost half of it. Literally feel like you got punched in the stomach. Like it is an awful feeling. Did you tell kind of friends? Did you hide it at the no, time? No, oh, I would hide it for sure. Because at this point, I'm going broke. So And there's been so much hype around me around the dorms and like I said I was a you know local celebrity like people like you know like I'm in the newspapers and you know all this stuff it's super embarrassing for me you know what I mean I feel like you know you just feel like you have this kind of image you have to hold up right and um, so now I'm broke I'm in the 50k debt that obviously adds to the kind of depression I go to the school counselor you know they have these kind of therapy resources which is awesome by the way that you know these yeah. like I, there's so many resources in college like I didn't take advantage of. And now I'm like, wow, these are amazing. And that was one I actually did get take advantage of. And, um, you know, I was probably like depressed for a good like three to four months already before I went to counseling. And just immediately going already felt better. Just like talking to someone who's professionally dealt with this. Right. There's a few things that really stuck with me. The counselor told me, you know, think of your problems like a rug. Right now you're overwhelmed. Like, like a rug? Yeah. You can't pick up a rug all at once, like lift each corner and, you know, it will become easier. It's so simple, but it's so true. And it's actually really helpful. You know, when you have a set of problems, like they're going to overwhelm you. And when you just focus on one and solve it, like the other one just becomes 10 times easier. So what was like the first corner for you? And you're um, in this funk. He also said, he was just like, your confidence is shot right now. So do things that you used to do that make you feel really confident. 
So I was like, okay, in high school, I was good at basketball. I'd write like poetry and rap lyrics. And so I didn't get back into the rap, but I got into, you know, I, got, I started playing basketball again. Right. So those are definitely some helpful things. But, you know, he also told me to stop playing poker, which I didn't <laughs> do. And to be honest, I spent the next few months just like, oh, I'm out of school, like partying a bunch, like just still being a bit of a degenerate. Right. But it got so bad that I realized like, okay, I'm going to have to like drop out of school. Anyone who knows brown parents, like you're scared shitless of your parents. Yeah, what was their take this whole time? Were they like, so they don't know. evil, they so, don't know anything? So by now they do know. So during the whole come up, they had no idea. So brown parents, like super strict, like anti-gambling, like very conservative. So the way they, my dad actually found out was someone sent him that article, student wins 180,000 playing online poker. That was in the <laughs> Daily Illini, the college newspapers. So he found that online. And he called me like super pissed. And I'm in Vegas, like at the World Series of Poker playing cash games. And, you know, he has no idea. He thinks, you know, I'm at summer school or whatever. Right. So he's super pissed and wants me to fly home the next day. And eventually I end up going home. He basically talks me into like, okay, like invest some of it or a lot of it into real estate. So I'm like, okay, you know, I'm probably going to invest like 120K or something into some property. So, you know, let me make sure I make some more. So that was part of the motivation (laughs) to like, oh, you know, I need to make stakes. Exactly. (laughs) So that was also added pressure now like during the you know how, how shitty I felt that you know it's gonna be I told you so to my parents yep. like I was gonna you know I thought like my dad's gonna kill me and so I, I think that the pressure from that was also just making it really hard for me and when I eventually called him and told him which it took me like months to you know sucker up the courage to do that like his reaction wasn't what I thought it was gonna be at all like he was like instead of like pissed he was just like super worried like it was just like he instantly like knew what I was going through and just like this like fatherly kind of like uh, feel like came out instead. It's amazing how parents do that on the micro transgressions on the small mistakes. They blow it up. Well, I, when you I, actually make a big mistake. Parents go into like, you know, yeah. fix it mode where they're like, we're here for you. They don't make you feel worse. You know, the best parents. I well, I, yeah, that. for sure. And <laughs> yeah. And my dad is awesome. And I, I think brown parents just have this thing of like trying to intimidate you and like scare you into like doing what they want to do. It's just kind of instilled is the way they were raised. <laughs> I meet a lot of people uh, who have, you know, conservative, like ethnic parents that are also like, you know, living a certain way, doing a certain things because of like fear of their parents. And that's a lot of advice I end up telling them is your parents, granted, they're good parents, like they love you and that matters like more than anything else. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of this is just a strategy that they've learned <laughs> how to mani- manipulate their kids into like doing what they believe is good. Right. Which for the most time is, but it's not always, you know? Right. So that probably helped a lot, like, you know, having my dad kind of react like that. So eventually I just kind of hit like rock bottom, like so bad that I realized like I'm going to have to like leave the school, like go back home, which is what I didn't want to do. Like I'm never going to, you know, like go- already leaving California, going to University of Illinois was a a big thing for them. So I was still trying to make my bankroll back. Why didn't you decide to quit? You know, most people in this point would say, yeah, okay, you know, I'm never drinking tequila again yeah. type of thing. I felt like instinctively that I was really good. Like I felt like I was outplaying my opponents, like that I knew something that I was capable of something that they weren't. I just like, you know, my gut was telling me that I was good at this thing. Right. 
And you listened. Yeah. I'm not even sure how to advise people on that one because there's a lot of people that I think shouldn't be playing poker or shouldn't be investing where they're investing. And they're just completely blindsided by that. Right. So what ended up happening was, so because I had already kind of built this like poker house with my friend Ben and we were surrounded by other players, one of the students he was teaching was started doing well in tournaments, Andy Sass. So like, all right, you know, what's up with this tournament stuff? And, you know, he's studying and learning the fundamentals. You know, Ben's taught him some stuff and he's really big into the forums. Even some of my students, Kevin Schultz, I was teaching him and now he's kind of on the forums like learning stuff beyond what I've taught him. Right. So it's kind of like these are the younger kids like teaching me and what's up with the, the forums. The 2 plus 2 forums? Yeah, forums. so 2 plus 2 and then we started our own called the Poker House. I think there was like an FCP like full contact forum, something like that and there's Pocket Fives. So they're kind of catching me up to speed on kind of what they're learning on the internet. I learn really quickly and I'm really good at asking questions and I think that's why I'm able to learn quickly. So, you know, just like watching them a little bit and like, you know, ask them questions, like seeing like some of the strategy they're doing. I was able to just like watch them a few times and take that and start incorporating that into my own game. Learned a little bit about bankroll management. So basically at the beginning while trying to make it back, I just you know, I'd have $500, I'd jump into a $500 game. Well, you know, I'd build it up to a few thousand, back to zero. So that happened for like three, four months. And then I finally buckled down and just started playing $5 sit and goes. And I can't tell you, like, it's just going from $20,000 buy-ins to $5 sit and goes. Like, you need to humble yourself to right. be able to do that. And, you know, Doral Brunson, Super Samil talk about that a lot. Like, that is one of the most important things, like, not caring what anybody thinks, what anybody's going to say, because people are going to like talk shit. Right. And you just need to do it and, you know, stay true to yourself. So, you know, just getting the courage to do that. So I started building up slowly, you know, to $10 to $20. And now I'm kind of in this tournament thing. So I eventually like qualified for a tournament in Aruba, like a live tournament. So I fly to Aruba, I get knocked out of the tournament. I'm playing online on a Sunday, like in this like outdoor lobby with a security guard there, just me and him all night. It's like 3 a.m. I ended up finally having my first big tournament win. It was like a party poker, like nightly 162. I think I won like 30 grand. It's like 3 a.m. at night. I kept running into my room for like bug spray, like five minute breaks. <laughs> and it was like, there's literally just like me and this security guard. It's like pitch dark black. And I'm just like on the floor. I'm like celebrating with all my friends. So that was my first big tournament win. And then like a few weeks later, I think I got like second or third in an ultimate bet tournament. It's like another like 40, 50K. And, and that's basically when my tournament career kind of shot off and I never right. really looked back. So you you've gotten now to the point where over 10 million in career winnings. So what was the next sort of, did that come in small chunks or was there one big score that really like kind of elevated your profile and your winnings? So I basically just started jumping on the live tour immediately. So, you know, now I'm 21, so I could actually play in like the live tournament. So Aruba, I think was only 19 plus. So that was at 20. But yeah, now at 21. So, you know, I start flying to Bayona 1, to Commerce, basically on weekends or I'd skip class. And I'd start playing this tournament. I think I won a $1,000 tournament at Commerce for $100,000. And then I think it was like another year, finally, when I was around 22, 23. And I basically just had my like killer breakout year where I made $1.7 million in earnings, mostly on like the WPT Tour and WSOP. There was like these $15,000 buy-in events at the Bellagio. I got second in one for $770K. The next one, like three months later, I got like third in like 500K. And then also there was an event at the WSOP that I got third for like 300K. Right. Like all in one year, like all within like a six-month span. And I had investors, so I had to give a percentage of that to them. And there's also 
also buy-ins. But long story short, like basically I made a million dollars that year. And so when you think about your career, you have different tactics that you use. Mm -hmm. The one thing that I find interesting about you when we were having dinner, I don't know, a couple months ago, you were telling me that you were playing in the World Series of Poker, the main event, $10,000 buy-in. And you said that I was asking you sort of like, how do you stay at the top of your game? How do you yeah. keep peak performance? Mm-hmm. Because these events are like, you know, multi-day, you know, they're, I don't know how many days the main event yeah. is, but I think it's like five, seven days, yeah. something like that, just to get through the field of tens yeah. of thousands of players. Well, here, so first I'll get into even how do you like get good at poker or whatever it is you're doing, then I'll get into that. Yep. So kind of the first thing is... You know, I realized that these are kind of the key things like, A, you know, you need to be doing some sort of studying, you know, whether that's like, you know, taking hands and analyzing it with friends, like reading books, like watching videos online. So you need to be doing, you know, one study thing. You need to have a group of peers, whether it's, you know, mentors. So in poker, it's, you know, I have these WhatsApp groups where, you know, there'll be anywhere to like three to 10 people and we post hands and talk about it. Right. And by the way, this advice is relevant to whatever it is you're yeah, doing, I do whatever with, you're trying which, to get good at. What you're saying is exactly what I do in the startup world. Yeah. So you need, you know, either books or videos to learn from. You need, you know, this peer circle. And then you just need to, you know, be like reviewing and analyzing your own work. And I, I think you should have a mentor. You need to be surrounding yourself by people that are equal or better than you. Right. Um, so kind of kind of those are things you need. And then, okay, the second question you asked is, you know, just how do you stay at the top of your game? And yeah, that's extremely important. Just being able to play your A game. There's so many talented players, you know, more talented than me that just are not able to stay at their A game because, you know, they get frustrated or they have vices or they have ADD or whatever it is. And, you know, they just, they end up broke. So you got to eat healthy. You got to work out. Like you got to do whatever it is that's going to put yourself in a good state. So for me, so, you know, we'll start with kind of pregame. Like I'm really big on like cold showers in the morning. You know, that just, it gets your adrenaline going and it relaxes all your muscles. It's kind of a meditative experience. Like your natural reaction is when the cold hits you to like shiver. And like, I just try to not shiver and just try to like focus my mind. Calm yourself. So it doesn't need to do that. Right. And just like, you know, spending and doing that for a few minutes, like you'll just feel like in a meditative state after that. And I actually, my goal when I'm doing cold showers is I try to do it until I pee <laughs> <laughs> because it relaxes all your muscles. It naturally makes you pee. That's the trick. Uh, which is kind of weird, but yeah, it's just like, okay, like all my muscles just relaxed. Right. I love doing like headstands. I actually, <laughs> I don't know any like science behind that, but it just, you know, gets all the blood like flowing to my head and it just, I don't know, I feel like in a great state after that. So this that. is part of your morning routine. Yeah. So, you know, cold shower, you know, a meditation. I'm huge on meditation. About six years ago, I went to a 10-day silent meditation retreat in Thailand, Vipassana retreat. And that was definitely just like one of the most like influential things I've done. How so? It's just like you're wearing sunglasses your whole life and you just took them off for the first time. Nice. It just... So, <laughs> share the enlightenment. What, what does that feel like? What, what did you realize? What did you learn from that? Yeah. So at the time, I kind of went because I'd been kind of like passively like doing some seed investments some startups and like a lot of my friends were like killing it in startups. And, you know, I, I naturally wanted to be an entrepreneur before I played poker. I was doing both. And I realized like when you do both, you're not doing doing either well. So I kind of need to make a decision, kind of like lost in terms of which way to go. So like I partially went for that, but I also just went because I was curious. Yep. I actually knew nothing about meditation, but just like, 
you know, it just seemed like something that was going to be good. So, so you started with like the most extreme version. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> like a lot of people like went there, like study, and like read about it. And know, like I actually knew nothing. Like a friend of mine had went to retreat. So he recommended this one. Little did I know this was like one of the best retreats you can go to it's called, you know, Steve and Rosemary Retreat. They're an Australian couple. So yeah, I mean, you get there and the journey getting there was already intense. You know, first you're flying to Bangkok. You take a bus to a dock, then you get on a katamaran, a boat takes you to this other island, and then you get on to the back of this truck. There's like a 15-hour sleep train like in between right. that I <laughs> forgot. You eventually get up to this hill where, yeah, and you walk to the top of the hill, and that's where the little monastery is. And so, you know, you register like three months in advance. You get there, and then, you know, you have to go and take your turn and go talk with the teachers explain to them why you're there and they decide if you're ready to be there or not. So you might even get turned down. Oh, wow. Um, generally, people don't get turned down. But if you, if they see you have some kind of intense like demons you're they're dealing with that you're not ready and you might be a distraction to the retreat, they'll offer you their book and some advice and, you know, ask you. What did ready. you say? Did you tell them I'm split on kind of where I want to go? I don't remember exactly. But yeah, you know, so, something like that. Like I want to strengthen my mind, like that type of stuff. So the schedule was you wake up at 5 a.m. Uh, before the sun comes up. You have kind of an hour to yourself. The shower was literally a garbage can full of water and a little scooper in this small dark room where literally like spiders, like as big as your hand (laughs) um, might or might not be in there. I mean, you're just in the wild, you know? And then, you know, at 6 a.m., like they do like an hour of yoga to start the day. Following the yoga would be, you know, like hour long sitting meditation. Basically every hour a bell rings. Then you do, you know, a light breakfast and then you do walking meditation. And basically throughout the whole day that go for like, you know, about 12 hours, every hour a bell rings and you just switch from sitting meditation, standing meditation, eating, working meditation, the yoga in the morning. And then every day there'd be a, a one hour talk from them where, you know, they would kind of share their philosophies. It was incredible. Like they're able to kind of predict what you're thinking a lot of times, what you're going through. So basically teaching you how to meditate. And the whole idea is that your whole life you're doing everything is outward energy. You're focused outwards. And th- this is the time for you to focus inwards. You know, what's actually going on in your mind and your body. I got there thinking like, oh, I'm going to like write a journal and do all this stuff. And it's like, no, no writing. That's outward energy. No eye contact with people. That's outward energy. So yeah, the whole time you're just trying to focus basically. And like you do these hour long meditations. I'd be so frustrated because I literally feel like <laughs> I only meditated for like five minutes of this hour. And I'm oh, like, really? oh, like I'm totally messing this up but that give their hour-long talk that you've been waiting for and that literally say exactly that they're like i'm sure you felt like you've only been meditating focused for like one minute of that hour but you know don't worry like you know that struggle that you're doing it's like you're working out you're exercising your mind and it's so true like by the end of it or you know five days in you start to realize that all that not meditating you're doing is actually like improving the hell out of your focus and you start to be able, you get so much better at it. Obviously, no technology. There's yeah. no eye contact. Yep. You're not speaking or making sound throughout mm-hmm. the day. Is that right? Yeah. No, and what about no, even no, in the morning when, you know, when you're taking your shower? Do you make any sound there just to get it out for the day or nothing? No, no, no <laughs> not really. You're supposed to walk around meditative. So every step you're supposed to take, you're supposed to feel the air, like feel the ground. And you're supposed to like like feeling the touch of things as part of being awareness. So you're trying to be aware of what's going on in your mind and also what you're feeling and experiencing. So you know they taught us some like awareness techniques. So like, and I use this at the poker table or like, you know, when I'm working or whatever all the time. So a really simple awareness technique is right now, if you're sitting, like feel your butt on the chair. 
Like you feel your butt, like before I said this, were you feeling your butt? No. Like probably not. So now you're aware. So the idea is to go around your entire day just being aware, like feeling things. Or you think unconsciously, your mind wanders all the time, and that's not beneficial. Like it's okay to like consciously focus and think about something, but most of the time your mind is just wandering. And that's one thing you learn in the retreat. You don't like 90% of your day, your mind is just wandering, wandering, wandering. And so they start to teach you to pay attention to your body. And you'll see that, okay, when your mind wanders to these places of stress, like you tense your breathing, your arm, your leg, and this basically wears you out throughout the day. And you're basically learning to just let go. You know, you recognize these patterns, let go, let go, let go. And by the end of the 10 days, you just feel so much energy. We're sleeping on this wooden bunk bed, showering at this tub of water, like living the most simple form of life you're living. At the first day, I was like, I don't know how I'm going to get any sleep. <laughs> like... <laughs> In this environment, it's like I'm talking about pure wood like you're sleeping on. <laughs> and instead, like you're just happiest you've ever been. You're like the healthiest you've ever felt. And you're just like, whoa, like I've been searching for happiness in the wrong place. Like it's all in just strengthening your mind. Right. And just that enlightenment was just insane. I love that. You know, the mind is a muscle mm -hmm. and it's amazing how little we sort of stretch mm -hmm. it and strengthen it consciously. Yeah. You do some other things that I thought were interesting. You know, there was a period of time where you didn't own a home or rent a place. You were yeah. totally nomadic. The hook for me has always been, oh, wow, this guy's an amazing poker player. He's had tremendous success in the poker world. That's fantastic. Cool. He made millions of dollars playing poker. But what I think sets you apart and what made you kind of fascinating to me was the silent meditation, living nomadically, all the little techniques and tactics you do to, you know, like you said, your pregame routine. I know you told me that during tournaments, during the five minute break, when most people just go grab a bag of chips and start eating it, you will run into the parking lot oh, and yeah. do a bunch of jumping so, jacks to freshen up your body or yeah, something. Yeah, so you right? were asking about my routine. So this is something I learned from poker, but I think everyone should do. And so in poker, we call it on tilt. So on tilt is basically like, Something negative happened to you and you're emotional, you know, you're pissed off and now you're acting out of emotion. Whatever in business this might happen to you because a coworker said something. Yeah, or, I was until yesterday. Yeah, or whatever. Literally. Some some deal, some employee does something dumb or whatever. Someone says something to you. You need to recognize when you're kind of in this state of mind and Everybody should have something in their pocket of how do I get out of this? Snap out of it. Yeah. How did like it's just a trick, it's just a hack. Like, and if you just literally just today, like go write it on a piece of paper, like how are you going to get out of it? Try it. If it doesn't work, write something else down. Right. And just once you know it works, it works. And usually from my experience, it's not thinking your way out of it. Don't logic yeah. your way out of it. Like, yeah. So move your body is a yeah, much so, faster. Way. So for me, it's I will go and do wind sprints in the parking lot on my 15 minute breaks. <laughs> People think I'm pretty weird. And but so I'll literally go out there and I'll just... I'll be like, you know, dressed in my like nice file table clothes sometimes and go do four wind sprints. And I promise you at the end of it, you, go, <gasps> yeah, you don't care like anymore. Person. You're just back in the gets you back in the zone. Oh, breathing exercises is like so helpful. What's one breathing exercise? So it's hard to kind of show without video, but, right. you know, basically you cover one nostril. So first you learn to breathe into your belly. So, you know, you'll cover one nostril. And you'll breathe in and out. You know, as you breathe in, your belly needs to get bigger. And as you, you know, exhale, your belly goes back in. So you take a big, deep breath in, like holding one nostril. Then you close the other nostril. 
You hold all the, the air in your belly, suck your belly in so it all goes into your chest. Now just hold it there for like five seconds or, or actually no longer if you can, and then release it out of the other nostril. Mm -hmm. So that's one. So now repeat doing the other direction. Just do like four or five of those and just you feel amazing. Like right. you feel on a high. It just like completely refreshes you. Yeah, um, I had somebody teach me this around breathing, which was there's something called stress breathing. Yeah. And stress breathing, if you'd be say, all right, take a big inhale, right? If you're just listening to this right now, take a big inhale. And now one of two things happened. Either you sucked in, right? Because sometimes when people try to take a big inhale, their stomach goes inwards. That's stress breathing. Uh, what you were describing with the belly going out, that's that's sort of the the sort of proper relaxed way to, to breathe, where an inhale should expand. Why is it that some people, when they inhale, they tense up and squeeze in? Mm -hmm. uh, and so it's two different types of, of, of breathing. And if you notice, a very common pattern is when somebody's stressed, sort of the reverse breathing, they'll breathe inward rather than expanding their belly in order to breathe. So. Yeah, I, I naturally breathe the wrong way, so I have to consciously try to do the, that type of breathing. Yeah, same. What do you think is the advice you would give, not to like somebody else, but I'm thinking like to your own future kid? Would you, if your kid was interested in playing poker, would you say, yeah, this is a good path? Or would you be like, hey, this worked for me, but I wouldn't recommend it? What's your take on it? So there's two things. There's learning how to play poker because it's good for you, which I strongly, strongly believe. And there's playing poker because you want to do it professionally. Learning it as a game versus yeah. learning it as a job. Yeah. Doing it as a job, I think that just totally depends on where the industry is. Right now, like online poker was, you know, banned. I don't remember, like seven, eight years ago at this point. So, you know, that's taken a lot of the sponsors, a lot of the marketing dollars out of the game. So it's not a great industry to get into right now. Now, if you're trying to make a lot of money, you know, it was seven years ago. And that might come back as online poker gets legalized in the U.S., which it has in a couple of states, but it's waiting for the bigger states, then that might be a very viable career option. Right now, I would say it's not. If you're recreational, just trying to play poker because you think it's fun or you think you could learn some cool skills from it, then yeah, it's a great time to be in. And so that gets to my second part. I think I've learned poker has taught me, you know, how to think in such a more like logical, productive way that I've been able to implement into the rest of my life. There's this thing we call like plus EV thinking that's, you know, expected value. Yep. And so if you don't know, you know, what expected value is, you know, let's just take a simple example. You take a coin, flip it 10 times. You're taking heads. I'm taking tails. The expected value of that flip is zero. Like if we're betting a dollar or whatever, because it's 50-50. It's a weighted coin, 51 towards 49. So now, you know, it's plus EV on the head side by a certain amount. Right. So basically, in poker, you're basically trying to make plus EV bets. Right. And, you know, it's the same as, you know, if you're investing in startups or the stock market. And then you could also apply it to life, right? So you just have to think of what is the game of life. You know, my points are in like happiness points, like utils. So what is the EV of dating this person or being single? What is the EV of me, you know, going to this concert versus not going to it? And then right. how much does it cost me, right. you know, monetary wise? And it just kind of teaches you how to make, you know, better decisions. So like the classic example, of like flawed thinking is, you know, okay, I bought these $200 concert tickets, and we're gonna go to this concert, but my best friend just did this birthday party, that's gonna be super fun. Like, it's actually gonna be more fun than the concert. Most people will still go to the concert because, oh, I already spent this $200. I don't want to lose that $200. That's the like classic, like sunk cost fallacy that you already spent the money. You know, the money's already gone. Now you just go to which one's gonna bring you more happiness. Right. So poker just teaches you, I mean, like a lot of, you know, lines of thinking like that right. are really beneficial. And in, in poker, you might say, I've already put $100 into this pot. Mm -hmm. Now they're betting 300 
you know, I already put in a hundred. Maybe I should just do the do the rest. But that's the sunk cost there. On the other side, you you have for EV. If you want to learn a little bit more about this, there's a basic formula for EV, which is essentially you take the result you think you'll get if the thing happens times the probability it might happen. So, you know, your your expected value of the lottery is pretty low. It's a huge prize, but the probability of you winning is super super low. Whereas, you know, the expected value of something that might be higher chance of happening is going to be a lot higher, and you want to calculate. Am I making positive EV decisions or negative EV decisions based on the cost it takes you to make the bet? Yes. I'll even like when I'm booking flights now. So like this used to be such a stressful thing where when I first started, where I was like, oh, like this round trip flight is, you know, a thousand bucks like abroad. And I, I want to leave on this date. But if I make the final table, I'm going to have to miss this and, you know, like pay another thousand dollars. But it's like, OK, the chances of that happening are like five percent. So, you know, I just multiply, you know, a thousand by five percent. And, you know, that fifty dollars is the cost of me booking this flight the day I want to leave. Like, right. OK, fifty dollars, that doesn't sound that bad. Right. So now, you know, just think of like, you know, these expenses that I might have to cancel and lose as what is the EV that it actually cost me? Because if I'm in this situation 100 times, I'm only going to have to cancel that flight five times. Right. You might have this with a job offer where you get stock options and they say, great, you know, here's what the stock options are worth today. But it's privately valued company. So it's not like you can go sell it. So you basically say, all right, I give this a 10 percent chance of becoming a hundred million dollar company. Well, if that's the case, then this is worth 10 million dollars today. Right. The value of the company today is worth that. And then you can price your shares accordingly. So it lets you assign value to things that seem different uh, chance of occurring, which is important. So there's two other things that poker's taught me that I think are super important that everybody should learn. This one drives me nuts in the startup world, actually. It's not being results-orientated. I shouldn't say startup world, but I should say business world because I see a lot of, maybe they mean the term in a different way, but I see a lot of you know business articles talking about being results oriented and that being a good thing. Right. Whereas I strongly believe that's a bad thing and you should not be results oriented. And let me explain what I mean by that. You can make a bad investment in a company and it can end up making money. And you could go on to make nine investments in good companies and lose money. It's just because there's a lot of variance. Let's use the heads or tails example. Just the weighted coin, it's 55 on the head side, 45 on the tail side. We flip it 10 times, it ends up being seven times tails. Does that mean you were dumb or you were wrong for choosing heads? No, it's just short-term luck. If you flip that coin you know, a million times, it's going to end up being 55-45. Right. So someone who's results-orientated is going to say, oh, why did I pick tails? Like, you know, like that was dumb. So I hear people say this. You know, when it comes to like, oh, why did I date this person? Why did I choose this job? Why did I go on this trip? Because like something bad happened. But again, they're being results orientated because some fluke thing happened where the percentages were low. Right. Or maybe, you know, the opposite that maybe the percentage of something bad happening was like 80 percent. But the 20 percent that something good happens, the gain you get out of it is so big that it's worth, you know, just taking so, that so risk. It's the ability to separate analyzing the decision you made versus analyzing the outcome that happened. Yeah, exactly. So and like in uh, poker, you analyze yeah. the decision. That's where you need to, if you want to yeah. get good, you analyze the decisions and yeah. you sort of ignore outcomes to an extent because yeah. the outcomes have this huge degree of variance. Yes. I'll see some people, you know, even in startups and stuff, like really smart people, but just have this kind of flaws in the way they, they think about that. And, you know, whether it's a Facebook ad or whatever, just something that led to some success and they're just like, so 100% that this was the way and they're just so you know uh, the third part was sample size just that you need to be sample size aware like it's okay to be like okay I did this thing and it worked 
but you know, I don't have a large enough sample size. I, my confidence in this being their answer should be low. Like it's better than nothing, so I'll go with it. But you know, and as your sample size grows, you have more and more confidence in you know that method, that direction, that ad, or whatever it is you're right. doing. It's not. I don't hear it being taught. You know, like it's one of the most important things. I think like being able to make logical decisions. That's arguably one of the most important things in life. Right. What you're saying is that there's a set of frameworks around mm -hmm. making better decisions and using logic, where logic combines with math and probabilities. Yeah. And poker obviously teaches you that the hard way because if you don't know it, you're going to lose a lot of money. Yeah. So the cool thing with poker is that you get to go through you know thousands of sample size in like a very short period so you know within a couple of years you know you will go through the financial experience of someone's entire life right which is really valuable you know it teaches you a lot <laughs> fantastic and so if people want to follow you get a hold of you reach out to you where should they connect with you uh yes you can find me on twitter it's at faraz jaka that's f-a-r-a-z-j-a-k-a -A -A. i'm also on instagram at faraz jaka or you could go to my website farazjaka.com i have some like blog posts on there, but it's more just kind of like evergreen content. I'm not updating it regularly, but there's like a contact me page and right. some some stuff about me, some articles. My meditation blog is on there, which people find pretty interesting. So yeah, check it out. And I can attest, you know, when Faraz is making a run in a tournament, he'll post like, hey, tomorrow's <laughs> the final day. I got this many chips. Yep. Follow me at 2 p.m. It starts and let's see if we win. And yep, those are yep. a lot of fun. We, You know, I have it on my second screen at work nice. often where I'm following the progress and seeing if you can take it down. Awesome. Uh, thanks for coming, man. This has been awesome. Share with